In the summer of 1978, Ireland had a Woodstock moment. When the time comes, I advocate that people lie down in front of the bulldozers. Shows a lot of young people really do feel strongly about this sort of thing. I'm totally opposed to building a nuclear power station. They dropped the bomb in 45 to end the world war. An anti-nuclear protest morphed into a festival as musicians led 40,000 people to Carnsore Point in Wexford, the proposed site of Ireland's first nuclear reactor. Among the musicians, Christy Moore, Donald Lunny and Mick Hanley. This was... uh a threat, if you like, to the whole country. The, the, the idea of placing a nuclear plant in a place as small as Ireland seemed to me to be a very, very uh, dangerous thing to do. It was an authentic counterculture moment, a reaction to a heavy-handed Fianna Fáil government that didn't know how to listen. What it felt like, I suppose, was that just that it was being railroaded into the country without enough thought, The way the government and its officials handled the process was a masterclass in how not to do public consultation. Why put it at Carnsore? What's the attraction there? Well, on the criteria that we'd worked out, Carnsore came out as the best site for our purpose and we selected it accordingly. Des O'Malley was the Fianna Fáil Minister for Energy and he imperiously told protesters, I will decide. We want an informed debate on this. We, we don't want members of the Flat Earth Society uh, shooting off at a tangent uh, with, with uh, uh, obscurantist views which bear no relation to reality. The very next year, the Three Mile Island reactor partial meltdown in Pennsylvania made O'Malley's dismissal of the protesters as Flat Earthers look not just rude but wrong. A concerted people power movement rose up against what officials were presenting as a foregone conclusion. And Mick, were Um, you surprised by the level of the response? Because, I mean, I think it was, you know, initially planned for a couple of thousand people maybe to turn up at Carnesore Point, but not the tens of thousands that did. No, it seemed to me there was a a buzz on the ground. Like, people were were quite aware of, of, of environmental stuff at that time. You really gave the government of the day a bloody nose, didn't you? At the time, the response we got was excellent for, for what we had in mind. But I think our, our thoughts at the time were that it was a very dangerous thing to be tampering with and we were successful in, in installing that. Successful is a bit modest, really. They galvanised public opinion so firmly that a future Fianna Fáil energy minister learned that the popular thing to do was to take a swipe at his own party's pro-nuclear past. One of my predecessors who uh, referred to the protesters as flat earthers, well, thanks be to God for the protesters. Ultimately, the people power on display at Carnesore Point led to another Fianna Fáil government introducing a legal ban on nuclear fission for electricity generation. Mick Hanley now thinks that might have been a step too far. At this stage, I certainly wouldn't be singing from that hymn sheet now because I realise we certainly can't go on uh, 
pulling fossil fuels out of the ground. So, you know, I, I, I still would be against having a, a nuclear power station. That's not to say that in the event of us going on in blackout, that it shouldn't be considered amongst all the others. Fianna Fáil went from leading the charge in favour of nuclear to blocking its use in the future. In 1999, Green Party TD Trevor Sargent proposed legislative wording that would have the effect of prohibiting nuclear fission, and Fianna Fáil Minister Mary O'Rourke readily embraced it. Politics and public opinion became aligned and settled. Ireland, being anti-nuclear, was almost an article of faith that no one dared disturb. And there it sat for two decades. But now a generation finds itself tackling an existential environmental crisis, caused in part by the way that we generate electricity. But in this country, precisely because of the success of the protest, we're not allowed to use a tool that everyone else can. France has a big push for it, the UK has a big push for it, Japan's restarting its nuclear power, the US is pushing for it. Lots of countries are looking at developing nuclear for the first time as well. Why wouldn't we just build one here? We could do it and we could have all the benefits of employment, cheaper and more stable electricity for Irish people. Were the protesters right then, but wrong now? Was Des O'Malley right, but just at the wrong time? Go to the city of Chicago, the city of Boston, the city of New York, and see in those cities nuclear stations working every day and night, every day for the last 25 years, without the slightest difficulty. I'm Philip Boucher Hayes, and this is Hot Mess, Episode 6, Nuclear Fallout. The real problem right now is in addressing climate change and decarbonising our electricity. Sarah Cullen isn't sure that nuclear is the right answer for Ireland, but she argues it's wrong that the law prohibits the question from being explored properly. If we find that there is some reasonable case for nuclear in Ireland, then we repeal the two lines of legislation which currently prohibit it. One was put in in 1999, one in 2006. Both are single lines of legislation. Sarah is an energy specialist and co-founder of a campaign called 18 for Zero. 18? the percentage of our electricity demand that can't be met by wind and solar. Zero, the amount of carbon dioxide that would be created if that electricity gap came from nuclear power. We have put massive amounts of money into developing our variable renewable infrastructure and we're going to continue to do so. And that will help, but it will only get us so far. Even if we manage to reach that 80% variable renewables target, the rest of our energy is coming from gas, fossil fuels, and in particular, that uh, and the fossil fuel plants that the government's planning on building are open cycle gas turbines in all likelihood, which are much more carbon intensive and much more expensive than the um, gas turbines that we're used to, the gas power plants that we're used to in Ireland. So when you look to the future, it becomes a little bit more complicated than just including more renewables reduces carbon, um, it does to a point. And then beyond that, you start having to look at, we need to replace the fossil fuels in the system. And it's not 
in any way clear that we can do that with the current technologies that we have in Ireland. Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Fukushima, all confirmed the justness of the opinions shaped at Carnesore Point. But there is no human activity that is completely risk-free. And when compared with fossil fuel-generated power, nuclear actually becomes statistically much safer. If safety is the concern, I wonder if anyone who's ever gone on holidays to France, which is 70% powered by nuclear power, has ever felt unsafe. There is a well-cited study in The Lancet comparing mortality and morbidity rates of different forms of electricity generation. And even accounting for all of the accidents, nuclear is orders of magnitude safer than what we currently have in Ireland. So fossil fuels. It's even safer than solar. I understand there's a lot of um, emotional appeal to the argument that it might not be safe. But when you look at the numbers, there's nothing to support that argument. And I fully believe that Irish people are capable of understanding science. And we just need to have the conversation. It took all the big Irish political parties two decades to catch up with public opinion on nuclear. Now, they all seem pretty much reluctant to reopen it. A week ago, I wrote down the following line. No Irish political party that has ever been represented in the Dáil has a pro-nuclear policy. Literally the same day, a vote at the Workers' Party, Ardesh, made that statement incorrect. I think that the reality of what we're facing in the climate crisis is starting to bite for a lot of people and it's forcing people to really think about whether we can afford to be opposed to something for more emotional reasons than for practical reasons you know that maybe we have to start thinking really practically about what what we have to gain from these technologies Garrett Green is a workers party candidate for Dublin City Council I asked him to talk me through how it was that a left-wing party came to embrace a policy shift that many would see not only as being profoundly unpopular but also especially right-wing. We've certainly got, uh, we've got more praise from, uh, from certain kind of elements of the right-wing than we would uh, be used to or entirely comfortable with getting. The Workers' Party pro-nuclear policy was passed by acclamation at a recent online Ardèche, with maybe only five people dissenting. I was curious about how long it had taken to win over the membership of the party, most of whom would identify as environmentalists. Gareth said that the process began almost three years ago. There were a small number of people, certainly in Dublin, who had an interest in ideas about nuclear power. People maybe came from a science background, particularly. Um, a couple of us maybe came, had a background in physics and were interested in thinking about climate. And I suppose we're frustrated that we'd all be broadly part of the environmental movement and were frustrated at the kind of the tone of a lot of environmental discussion. They drew up a position paper, setting out the scale of the challenge of decarbonising electricity generation. And then they invited members to suggest, if not nuclear, then what? And so we had this process whereby we asked people, you know, we tried to lay out what we thought was the realistic scenario that we're facing. And gave people an opportunity to propose what they saw as being alternative policies. And in the end, you know... We had a lot of discussion, but not many people could really see their way around these problems. I think in the end, a lot of people did come to the conclusion that there are non-negotiable realities and problems we're facing, and that we have a technology that's not perfect, but that is safe, that is 
in comparison to fossil fuels, very clean, uh, and that has the potential to provide large, reliable, large-scale reliable power that can actually, you know, allow us to maintain our current level of uh, industrial output. The motion was put to a vote after two and a half years of debate and overwhelmingly passed. And this time again, there was some debate, um, but in the end, this time there was a, a large majority in favour. I think because people's priorities have, have changed maybe, and maybe over the last two years in particular, I think people have had to have be going to take more of a objective, long-term look at the problems the world is facing and how we're going to solve them. And so I think that might have shifted perspectives. A group of self-identifying environmentalists of all ages, some of whom had campaigned against Carnesore Point, when allowed to have a reasoned debate, nearly unanimously arrive at the complete opposite conclusion to what you would have expected from a very left-wing party. Big parties love to dress themselves up in the more popular ideas of little parties. It's going to be interesting to see if the Workers' Party start a debate anywhere else. The thing that matters now more than anything else is time. The climate science has given us a small window in which we can avoid anything over 1.5 degrees of warming. So let's see, can it be done? I've asked two experts to assess how long the political and planning processes would take to allow a nuclear reactor to be built in Ireland. I would say it's a little bit like our insistence on military neutrality. Gerard O'Neill is an economist and runs a Morak Consulting. He's written extensively about the political and the financial aspects of Ireland's energy markets. He holds no torch for nuclear power, but believes we haven't interrogated what it could do for us closely enough. It's something that is driven by a combination of legacies, but it's not something that is deeply considered or ex examined. I asked Gerard to examine how long it would take the political system to get a decision to build a nuclear reactor across the line. It would almost be like um, the citizens' assembly approach. Because we have a very consensual political culture, if we could show that there was a real consensus out there, for example, through a citizens' assembly, I think it would give politicians a lot more leeway in terms of what they do next. What do you think? A year? Longer? Typically, it would take a year for something like that to happen. But that's a year from when. Is there actually a modular reactor now suitable for the Irish grid that is commercially available? Uh, the first one did receive its regulatory approval in the last few months after going through, I guess, maybe 10 or 12 years of approval processes. Um, but the other, the other products haven't come through yet. So I, w I don't think you could say it's commercially available. This is Peter Hart. He's an energy consultant who has considerable experience of getting large-scale energy projects through the Irish planning system and actually built. That company and the others will need to build a number of small projects to, to be seen and tested, I think, before you'd say that they're commercially available. So how soon before any of those might actually be operational for us to go and take a look at and kick the tyres? The earliest of them, I think they're saying they're targeting 2027, uh, all going well. Um, I think the next tranche after that probably be running their pilot plants in 
in and around 2030 and the early 2030s. So that means that this process wouldn't start in earnest until 2030. Then the political campaign could start. We've already allowed a year for a citizens' assembly. What's next? And then there's a process of Doyle Committee, for example. What's that? Six months to a year again? At least, because you would have to have expert committees and public debates, etc. But yes. That's summer 2032. Gerard feels at this point that the cannier politicians would opt for a referendum on nuclear. It wouldn't be strictly constitutionally necessary to have one, but it would make the people of Ireland take ownership of the decision and prevent any party taking a contrary position for electoral advantage. I think you could be looking at 18 months, two years, uh, even looking at our recent referenda. There's a lot of work to be done in terms of the wording of uh, potential uh, articles to be changed or amended or added, because it would be an issue I have no doubt would have a polarising effect on a lot of people. Assuming that a large majority vote in favour, it would now be the start of 2035, at the earliest before the referendum result would come back to the dole to be turned into underpinning legislation. All told, no matter when you start, it's a five-year process minimum. Yes, I believe it is. And it's probably a process many would have to consider doing for the simple reason that if even you had one or two political parties saying, we don't need a referendum, let's just vote to build a nuclear power station, the opposition party would then very quickly wrap around themselves all the opponents to such a change and probably benefit from it politically as well. So it nearly needs to be a binding agreement on all the main political parties so that none of them can actually choose to uh, opt out of the consensus and uh, avail of any political gains that might come with that. So by the end of 2035, we have laws allowing nuclear generation in place. Thunderbirds are go? No. There are, as has been Peter Hart's experience with other energy infrastructure projects, things that have to be done to satisfy Brussels first. You have to first write the policy. So you have to, even when you have the the, the big decision made to go nuclear, you do have to write a a detailed policy about how much we're going to do, how quickly we'll do it, whether we're going to do it with which types of technology and how it will be connected to the grid. So you have to write that policy. That'll take a, a year. It's now summer 2036. Uh, then you need to run a, what's known as a strategic environmental assessment on it. And, and that's, that doesn't assess any particular projects. It just looks at the whole policy as a whole and say, is this uh, environmentally sound for Ireland? And there is a public consultation step built into that, that, which is right and proper. Each time there's a public consultation, you're certainly looking at a, a year to 18 months. Summer 2036 has turned to winter 2038. You'll then need to let that flow down into documents such as national planning frameworks and national uh, policy guidelines and, and technology guidelines, county development plans, which is, is specific zoning of areas. Uh, at each of those levels, there is public consultation again, as, as is right and proper, particularly for, for, for technology such as, such as nuclear that will, will, will invite debate at every stage. It's now Christmas 2040. And only now can the first planning application for a nuclear power plant actually be lodged. You do have to start by writing what's known as an 
environmental impact assessment and and that will require typically two years bird surveys it would require public consultation naturally um, you'll have to demonstrate how you went through your site selection process in public and with with engagement from all the parties so i think it's it's two years to prepare the planning december 2042 when you submit it you you will typically be asked uh, locally for a further information request uh, and that could be that could happen a number of times summer 2044 um, and you will almost inevitably run through a planning appeal process. Now, I don't know what the process will look like in 2040, but today, obviously, you, you get your appeal to on board, board Planola, and I would say almost all large infrastructure gets appealed. Summer 2045. If, if that was just the process, I would say it's about five years. It's probably five or six years might, might be achievable. But each of those steps is, again, correctly open to, to judicial review. July 2047. Our experience with wind farms, anything from sort of seven years to 10 years and out as far as 15 years before before projects get get, get through that process. So, so I, I, it'll be hard to see a nuclear plant not knowing what the world looks like in, in, 20, in the 2040s, but I can't see it being a lot different. The other licenses, like connection to the electricity grid, won't be entertained until you have planning. Grid connection alone can often take take three years. Assuming we have been working on setting up a nuclear regulation and inspection agency in the meantime, we can finally begin building, right? Wrong. It's only once you show that it can be built legally and safely that you then start putting in place the finance. There, there will always be a, some, some additional paperwork and, and financing it and, and, and ensuring you've got all the other licences. Which means on some glorious spring morning in 2059, the Taoiseach will finally turn the sod on the construction site. Work can begin. I don't think we'd want to be rushing either the construction or, or the testing or commissioning processes. You know, there will still be substantial civil works, there'll be, there'll be connections, there will be uh, a lot of associated infrastructure and delivery routes to be, to be worked out and built. It, it certainly feels like you're in the sort of six, seven year sort of time frame. By this analysis, the first kilowatt hour of electricity from Ireland's first nuclear reactor would then buzz along the national grid in the summer of 2066. Whatever your feelings about nuclear, it would be very doubtful that nuclear would make any contribution to us getting to net zero by 2050. It's hard to see you taking a decade out of that process, unless you completely re rewrite the, the, particularly the public consultation aspect. You know, you'd have to remove a lot of that from every step of the way. Sarah Cullen from 18 for Zero says, nonsense. There's a template that countries around the world are borrowing from the International Atomic Energy Agency that is a lot quicker. And this entire process will take, it could be 17 years, which seems like a long time. But when you look at, we don't have any other options to decarbonize our electricity in 17 years. Suddenly, it doesn't seem like such a long time. But that process does sound like it has a lot of the public consultation shaved out of it, which doesn't always speed things up in the long term. You know, it, it's, it's uh, consult 
early and often, uh, you know, it, 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 it does work. Um, you, you may not always like the answer you get. And, and ultimately, the, the policymakers and plan, planning authorities will decide on balance whether the impacts are worth the benefits. But, you know, to skip the consultation entirely doesn't in any way improve the chances of, of get, arriving at the right answer. You may be drawing some comfort from the fact that the snail's pace our political and planning processes move at will likely as not ensure that no nuclear reactor is ever built in Ireland. But what if it was a solar array or a hydro energy dam or an offshore wind platform? Many of the same steps would have to be taken. A lot of the same kind of opposition and bureaucracy to be overcome. Similar levels of political mobilisation required. For a relatively small country, we are surprisingly not at all nimble in our response to the climate crisis. In just six programmes in this series, we have seen rampant nimbyism, institutional indifference, government inertia, lack of leadership, ignorance of innovation, and above all, an attitude of I won't make changes unless that lot over there change before me. We could still be the greatest generation, the generation that literally saved humankind from a nasty, brutish future in which billions of lives will be cut short and the natural world permanently scarred. That is within our grasp. The climate crisis is this generation's call to service. But it's not enough to just support climate action. We have to make inconvenient and uncomfortable choices. We have to sacrifice the status quo to save the future. That's it for the present series of Hot Mess. Hopefully there will be another opportunity in this space soon to explore the many other ways in which we can take meaningful climate action. In the meantime, though, thank you for listening. Hot Mess was written, produced and presented by me, Philip Boucher Hayes. If you would like to hear more podcasts of this kind from RTE, please rate and review this one wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us to make the case for similar programmes in the future.